Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. Good morning. (laughs) Um, As Mindy said, I'm going to be reading from Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, the letter to the church in Thyatira. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Lord of God, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say. I am not putting any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and and who keeps my word to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Praise be to God. morning. It's a privilege to be here with you again. Uh, My name is Mark Grappengator. I'm going to grab this mic stand real quick. Because unlike Brandon, I pretty much stay pretty stationary when I preach. So otherwise I'd be a distraction to myself, you know. As I said, I'm grateful to be back here for Brandon's invitation to be able to give him uh, time off uh, to be able to rest this Sunday and to stay warm as well. Um, I'm a church planter here in the area in in this neighborhood, and so um, it's an honor to be able to to be here to share uh, God's word with you. Uh, we're planting the table project. It's uh, our hope is that it would be a place where people can find a seat or a place rather at the table of God's grace, and so we hope that people who have been a part of the church and maybe walked away, people who have never experienced Jesus before would be able to come and see and meet him uh, afresh, anew, and uh, uh, have Him, his power and his mercy and his grace and his love enter into their lives. Brandon said I could preach on whatever I wanted, but also threw out uh, the option for me to preach from Revelation as a part of the series. And you know, I didn't, I didn't really look at the, the passage, but why, you know, what a great one for Valentine's Day, right? 
This fourth letter that Jesus sends is to the church in Thyatira, and it deals with some pretty heavy topics, especially considering that Thyatira was a rather unimportant city uh, in the ancient Near East. Uh, It only shows up a couple of times in the New Testament, but what it was known for most was its trade guilds. There were guilds that that, uh, had makers of bronze and fine cloth and pottery, And these trade guilds were really more than just professional associations. They really encompassed all of the civil life that people had back then. Uh, They were the civil religion of the day. They often held feasts that were in honor of the local deities, Zeus and Apollo. And if you were a tradesman in Thyatira, your whole civil life would have happened in these trade guilds. If you came to know Christ and became a Christian... This would have really been a very difficult problem for you. This would have posed a very difficult challenge. Suddenly, you would have had to make a decision about the shape of what your public life looked like. Can we still participate in these feasts? Maybe, maybe not. Well, there were even two sides of the argument here. And so Jesus sends this letter to the church in Thyatira to help them navigate these decisions. I think it's curious that we talk about starting a church, about how we talk about starting a church. It's something that's planted. It's not built. It's not constructed. It's not started. It's planted. This is a pretty interesting distinction. When we think about gardens, we never talk about a garden being planted. We talk, excuse me, never being built. We talk about it being planted. If the garden was built, we would focus on the structural elements, the pieces of wood that we put together, maybe to do raised beds or just the, the form and function of it. But when we talk about a garden, we talk about it being planted because we it's not necessarily what we want to put there, but it's what is willing and able to grow there. Only Some plants only grow in shade. Others only grow in full sun. Some have to have a little bit of each throughout the day. When we first moved here the first summer, uh, that we were here, I decided I would uh, plant and build technically, but plant a garden in our backyard. I had to pay attention to the climate zone. 5B is very different from zone 8, I believe, in Atlanta from where we moved. There are different uh, plants that grow here. There are plants that don't grow here as well. We had to pay attention to the weather. If I started planting seeds outside right now, they would never germinate and they would never grow. I didn't know that there's going to be a late snowfall in late May. We're going to get hail in June and July, and it's going to be August before we probably see anything that we're able to harvest out of our garden. There's so many things that you have to take into account when you plant a garden. Same is true when you start a church, and even really any church. You have to pay attention to the environment in which you are placed, the environment in which you are planted. This letter to Thyatira explicitly reminds the church to pay attention to their environment, to pay attention to how they care for the garden, what grows there, what's infected their garden, and what the harvest is going to look like when they put so much care and work into it. So this morning we're going to go through a little bit of a master class on gardening. 
Jesus tells the church in Thyatira and us today to pay attention to the soil, to pay attention to the weeds, and pay attention to the harvest. The soil, the weeds, and the harvest. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me as we we look at the soil. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Jesus calls himself the Son of God. His eyes are aflame. His feet are made of burnished bronze. Thyatira had two local gods and along with the emperor cult that they worshipped. And when Jesus calls himself the Son of God, he is placing himself above and in direct opposition to the civil religion of the day. He usually entitled himself the Son of Man. But using the title Son of God, here he's referencing Psalm 2, specifically verses 7 and 8 where the psalmist writes, I will tell of the the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He's making a very strong political statement. It's not the local gods. It's not even Caesar who has sovereignty. It's me, the King Jesus, the Son of God. Of God. He further ups the ante when he says, His feet are made of burnished bronze and his eyes of fire. As I said, Thyatira was known as a trades town, and one of the things that they were known for was a very special way to process bronze, and it made it shine like gold. Here, Jesus is saying, I am supreme to the trade uh, guild gods because my feet, the lowliest part, of my body are made of this bronze. And it's my eyes that not refine metal. They refine hearts when I seek and discern what is going on in the hearts and minds of my servants. And he begins by commending the church. He says, you guys are amazing in your works. Your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, which even exceeds their love. This is a patient church. It's hard. As a church planner, it's hard to be patient. This is a patient church. One that loves well. One that deals with trials and tribulations well. One that's unwavering in their faith. One that serves well. This, we would say, is an ideal church. What we all long for as pastors, we would be very proud to call this our church. This is a church that makes disciples and helps people put their full trust in Jesus. This church sounds like a church doing what they are supposed to be doing. One of the things I learned very quickly about gardening in Colorado is soil health. The soil here is very different than soil elsewhere. One of the first articles I read about gardening here was a guy who was, I think he was in Golden, he was in the front range, and he began to plant a garden after moving here from somewhere else, and he began digging down in the soil, and he realized this is not a great place to start a garden. And so he took time, and he began to amend the soil. But it took him several 
years to be able to make it so that it was healthy, so that he could get a good uh, harvest and good crops out of it. Soil health is extremely important. Is the soil loamy, which kind of means like loose and, and open, easy for the roots to, to dig around? Or is it sandy? Is our soil more like clay? It barely holds any water and it doesn't break down easily. There's so many factors to consider. When I, after I read this article, I decided I would, I would build raised beds and I would bring in soil and compost and amend it. And every year I do this so that it's not too acidic or too alkaline. And I amend every year with more compost and organic material to maintain proper soil health. And because of this, my seeds grow really well. We're able to get a lot of planting done. We're able to reap uh, more food than we even uh, are able to uh, eat at times. The Thyatirans have healthy soil. It's perfect for the seeds of faith to grow. How is our soil health as a church? As a small sea church, what distinguishes us? Are we known for our love and our faith? Are we known for our service and our patience? What does the neighborhood around us think about who we are? What about the big C church? What's its reputation? The big C church may be affecting our small C reputation a little too much. Broader society sees the church as power hungry rather than loving, that we'd rather oppress those who are different than ourselves rather than serve them. Maybe, perhaps, perhaps we're paying attention too much to the man that's elected rather than the king who reigns eternal. And what breaks my heart is how often we trade the temporal for, for uh, excuse me, we trade the eternal for the temporal. We trade a few years of someone in office for the king who reigns forever. Herein lies our challenge as the Little C Church. We must love our neighbors all the more. We must serve those around us so much more because the reputation of the Big C Church, we don't want the reputation of the Big C Church to tarnish the reputation of our little C church. The health of our soil may be excellent, just as it is the Thyatirans, but it means that we do need to pay attention to everything that grows here as well. We may need to look out for the weeds also. Look at verses 20 through 23 with me. Jesus uh, changes his tone a little bit. He says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works." and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. The church in Thyatira was so good at their patient 
endurance that they often cross the line into tolerance. There was this woman, Jezebel, who was teaching, who called herself a prophetess. And commentators aren't exactly sure who she is or if this was even actually her name, but this is who Jesus names her as. To understand this a little bit, we have to go back to the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 16 and 21, we read about this uh, queen, Jezebel. She was the wife of Ahab, the king of Israel. This was when the kingdoms of Israel had split. The southern kingdom was Judah. The northern kingdom was Israel. And the king, King Ahab, married this princess uh, who was a Phoenician princess, Jezebel. And not only did she move into uh, the kingdom, but she brought her religion with her, her worship of Baal and all the gods that she had. She brought 850 prophets with her. Not only that, did she killed off the majority of the Yahweh prophets, maybe all except Elijah. Any that she didn't wasn't able to kill off, any, anything that she wasn't able to get rid of in Yahwism, she syncretized into her own uh, religion. This created idol worship in an unprecedented scale in ancient Israel. This brought temple prostitution into the religious norms of worship for the Israelites. And just like Jezebel in Revelation, she led Yahweh's people astray. This Jezebel that we have in Revelation does the same thing. She teaches that it's okay to, to have sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. The Greek word that is used here for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia, which is kind of just a catch-all word for anything, any sexual practice that takes place outside of God's covenantal design for marriage between a man and a woman. Food sacrificed to idols probably had greater context to it, though. Uh, the trade guilds, as we said before, would hold these massive feasts to their patron gods. And we may, perhaps we know Paul teaches on this as well in other places in the New Testament. He says it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols, but this particular eating food to idols would have been a prohibition on all the bacchanalia, all the ritual and all the things of these great feasts to honor these gods. There could have been two different ways that Jezebel went about teaching uh, this uh, and leading uh, the Christians astray. She could have taught that it's because of our freedom in Christ that we're able to do these things, that we can practice these things, sexual immorality and eat this food, right? It's Christ has set us free, so it doesn't matter. Or she could have argued from kind of the secular religion of the day, Gnosticism, and said, what we do with our bodies, it doesn't really matter because we're doing it with our bodies, not our souls. They're separate entities, and one thing doesn't affect the other. But to the Christian freedom argument, we have to remember that Paul says it's not that we would continue to sin, but the freedom that we have in Christ means the power of sin has been removed from our lives so that we don't have to practice. We are not subject to this power anymore. And to the Gnostic argument, if we're honest, sometimes we make that same mistake and distinction today. But the truth is, everything we do with our bodies affects our soul. Everything we do has spiritual 
ramifications to it. We are inextricably bound to our bodies here in this place on earth. It does matter what we do. See, when our soil health is good, we have to be careful about what grows in our garden. Weeds can become a real threat to what we've planted, the the crops that we want to grow there. And weeding is probably the part of planting that, uh, or of growing a garden that I hate the most. I mean that. I hate gardening. It's not just a, 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 um, excuse me, it's, it's a very personal thing to me. I don't even have the words. And you can't ever get rid of them, but it's personal to me because whenever I got in trouble in middle school, which was only a few times, weeding was my punishment. I got suspended once for a day. It's a long story. It was a joke. It was misunderstood. But my parents weren't the kind of people to let me get away with something like this. And the hours that I of school that I missed, I had to go out and I had to pull weeds in the garden. Now, I don't know if this was a metaphor at the time, but it is now. The problem with weeds is that when they are left unchecked, they will quickly take over an entire garden bed. They entangle themselves around the plants that we want to grow. They steal their nutrients. And so to keep a healthy garden, I have to go out there and weed, even though I don't love it. Jesus makes it clear. Jezebel is a weed in the garden of the church in Thyatira, and she must be pulled. Now, Thyatira is known as a tolerant community. They have patient endurance. And maybe they were just thinking, what, you know, what's the harm in letting a weed grow in the garden? To let Jezebel continue to teach. Well, Jesus labels these things the deep things of Satan. Because while revelry, ecstasy, and bacchanalia may look like life, they actually lead to death. Jesus pronounces his judgment both on her and her children. In contrast, Jesus offers himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All other ways of living are fantasy. We are kidding ourselves. We are living in Disney World while the rest of our life continues without us. They are temporal, and they are not eternal. This tone of judgment seems perhaps maybe too harsh to our modern Ears, which may speak to our own levels of tolerance, but this is Jesus speaking. He is the righteous judge who sees the intentions of our hearts, who speaks these words. And they show just how deeply Jesus loves and cares for his children, his people. And he will not let them be led astray. He will destroy anything that gets, uh, that takes his children away from him. Removing false teachers is extremely difficult for us today in today's culture. Tolerance is one of our uh, America's uh, greatest uh, virtues. The only thing not tolerated is intolerance. Jesus cast Jezebel out after giving her some time to repent, but she never does. So I think it's, it's wise for us not to take swift action on these things, but something that we embark on through a lot of prayer, 
a lot of patient endurance, but to act on them the same nonetheless. Church discipline is always uh, something about restoring the sinner who has gone astray. It's our hope in our church that anyone who would, would be labeled a false prophet would come back into the fold and be restored to Jesus and the church. So we've got good soil health. We're weeding the garden. Now it's time to reap the harvest. Look at these last verses with me, verses 24 through 29. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The early Christians faced a lot of societal challenges as they converted from the pagan civil religions to Christ. The civil religion of the day could have been the emperor worship, worshiping Caesar, or the local deities, literally reached into every aspect of their lives. It would take a lot of concerted effort to entangle them, to find themselves anew with new life in Christ and to untangle themselves from these, these gods. The trade guilds in Thyatira would have had these huge religious feasts to pay homage to Caesar, the local idols. And if you were a Christian and a potter or a bronze worker or a fine clothier, there would have been a heavy expectations on you to participate in these feasts. Moreover, this would have been your social circles. This would have been your livelihood. And removing yourself from these associations could have cost you your job. Could have cost you your friends and your standing in society. Most people probably couldn't have afforded to remove themselves, which is why Jezebel's teachings would have been so attractive to them. Jesus knows this. Jesus recognizes this. And he addresses those who are not following Jezebel's teaching as well. See, Jesus sees the intentions of their heart, and he takes the promises of Psalm 2 that earlier he applied to himself, calling himself the Son of God, and he knows they're about himself, but he applies them to them, the Thyatirans, as well. He says, you will be the ones who rule over them. You will not be shattered. They will you will receive God-given authority. Instead of being at the mercy of the pagan society, they will be at your mercy. And then he adds this very curious phrase, I will give you the morning star. What's this morning star? Well, in order to understand that, we have to flip to the very end of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16. One of the very last things that Jesus says. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, 
the bright morning star. Jesus is the bright morning star. Jesus is our promised future reward. I think the hardest part of gardening is waiting. If you're really savvy, you start your seeds inside in February or early March. You move them outside in late May or early June. But it's not until the end of July, and usually it's August, before we're able to get to the most exciting part, the harvest. Finally, we get to reap the rewards of all our hard work. And the taste of a, of a homegrown tomato destroys the flavorless garbage that we shell out money for at the, at the grocery store. Even if we go to Whole Foods and buy the heirloom organic varieties, they are garbage compared to it, what we can grow at home. I grew lettuce this last year. Lettuce has no flavor when you buy it at the store. Lettuce that you grow yourself is amazing and it just it it makes your mouth water for more i started eating salads because of it but the harvest takes patience and hard work it means our eyes need to be fixed on the horizon of the promised future rewards and all that we endure here on earth all the suffering the trials the weeding the persecution the loss of social status, the having to love and serve more, hold faith all more tightly, all of this will pale in comparison to being united with Jesus, the bright morning star. What's our guarantee, though? often feels like we're just laboring away in the vineyard and nothing's ever going to happen. Look over at Romans 8 with me. Romans 8 is just an absolute amazing chapter of the Bible. You read verses 22 through 25 and 37 through 39. This is what Paul says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees, but we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it in patience. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. What we have now, what gives us the energy what gives us the hope that we will see Jesus, that we will be united with Him, is the Spirit of God, the first fruits of the harvest, who lives and dwells within us now. Jesus says, we, excuse me, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Jesus because He loves us, and nothing 
will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will take this away from us. But it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not challenging to wait. There are false prophets in the big C church leading us astray, promising us the good life now. Telling us that a little syncretism never really hurt anybody. It's hard because we know that being a faithful Christian means that we have to give up some of our social standing. We'll have to love more. We'll have to sacrifice more. We'll have to serve more, endure more, have more faith in the promises of God. Perhaps we know that we'll never have perfect soil health. We'll never reflect the love of Christ as we would want to. And it just seems like there are weeds everywhere. And the rewards of a harvest are so far away. Praise be to Christ, the Master Gardener, Jesus, who gave up His place in the heavenly realms to enter the garden, to enter the garden tomb. He was separated from the Father so that we could be united to Him. And not only that, He came out of the garden tomb so that we could taste the first fruits of the harvest now, the Spirit of God, and living in us and have eternal life. To Him be all glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You. We thank You that You love us. We thank You that You see us, Lord. You see what we are going through, how we are laboring, how we are hoping for what, uh, for the future glory, the bright morning star, Jesus coming to restore this world to rights, to bring justice, to bring, bring love, to bring mercy, to rule graciously. That we can be look to You uh, uh, as our reward. Lord, we thank you that you send your spirit, the first fruits of the harvest, that we may know of your love and mercy now, so that when we are tired, that we are weary, that you enliven us more to love, to serve, to sacrifice for you. Lord, lift us up, lift our hearts, lift our spirits, lift our voices to praise you, so that our eyes may gaze upon your glory when you come in fullness. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.